Hey guys, welcome back to Keeping It OD Podcast and happy Monday. Y'all know the drill by now. Another week, another interview. This week I have with me Mr. Juan Saavedra from Nova Southeastern University. He's here to talk to us about their optometry program. He is the Assistant Director of Recruitment and Student Affairs um, of the NSU Optometry Program. So he oversees the recruitment and admissions process for each new entering class, and he also coordinates all activities related to the Office of Student Affairs. You will interact with him um, when inquiring about admissions requirement for the program, um, scheduling your interview, and hopefully during your open file portion of your interview. Now, without further ado, I'll let my guest introduce himself and we'll get started. Oh, hi, Karen, and hi to everybody that is watching or listening to this podcast. My name is uh, Juan Saavedra. I am the Assistant Director for Recruitment and for Student Affairs at the College of Optometry with Nova Southeastern University. I've been uh, working at Nova Southeastern University since 2012. Uh, I started as the admissions counselor and I did that for a few years uh, and then I was promoted, uh, hired by the actual college because the admissions department is part of another a department known as the Enrollment and Student Services Department at NOVA. And then I was hired by the college itself. And so I, I moved upstairs uh, in the fourth floor, which is where we are. And I became the assistant director. I worked with Dr. Michael Bacigalupi, which is the Dean of the College of Kentucky for a few years. And now our assistant Dean is Dr. Nicole Patterson. She's the director of admissions and student affairs. So. Uh, prior to that, you know, I've, I've been in higher education for about 12 years. I was a, um, an academic advisor for several years, um, for about four years, and it was in the health professions as well. It was for another university. And then prior to that, I was a high school teacher for 16 years. Uh, I have a master's in history, uh, which is not related to health professions, but uh, but I've been on both sides. So I've been a teacher, I was a coach for many years, uh, athletic coach, and then I've also been involved in academic advising. And in this particular role, I do a lot of advising as well and um, work very closely with students. So so that's, uh, that's a little bit about me. So uh, whenever you're ready. All right. Thank you so much. We're so excited to bring you on to the show. Um, so the first question here is just kind of a basic overview. Um, so just tell us a little bit about the NSU Optometry Program, um, how it's um, kind of laid out for the four years. So we have, we actually have three programs. So I'll go into a little bit of detail in each, but we have uh, the traditional doctor of optometry program. We call that the OD program. That is four years. Um, you know, I call that the hair on fire program because that's uh, go, 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 you know, 10 classes, 22 credits per semester, uh, all science-based, uh, very fast-paced, uh, a lot of work that needs to be done. It's two years of didactic, straight didactic uh, training, uh, lectures, labs. Uh, you do get patient uh, interaction from year one first semester because we assign shadowing uh, at the clinic that is right on campus. So you shadow our third year students and you shadow our fourth year students in both primary care and as well as all the specialty care. Uh, you are also eligible to do um, eye screenings. So we have a 
a contract with a public school in Broward County here in Florida, South Florida. And so we do eye screenings for elementary, middle school, high school students. And then of course we have community service uh, that's required of students 10 hours per year. Uh, they do a lot of different community service, but it, it's all related to optometry. And then uh, mission trips, you can participate in mission trips. So you have patient experiences, although not direct patient care in the first two years. And so that's the program in your third year. It's, a, it's kind of a hybrid. So you do, you're still training in, in the classroom and labs, but you're also doing clinical. Your first uh, real clinical exposure comes in, begins in the summer, the second year moves right through the third year. And then fourth year is all clinical experience. Uh, the second program is the extended, uh, which I, I think you have a question later on about it. Um, and that is a five-year program. And then the third program is our preparatory optometry program, which is for students that don't quite meet the criteria academically. So we have minimum standards. Any student that is below those minimum standards, the committee and admissions automatically uh, considers them for the prep program. And there are specific academic criteria to that. And if met during that one year prep uh, program, uh, then they move into the traditional program. So it's in essence also a five-year program. So those are, that's kind of a, a quick overview of our three programs. Awesome, thank you so much for that. So what is the patient population like in Fort Lauderdale? Um, what kind of ocular disease do your students usually um, are exposed to during their time at NOVA? Well, the patient population here is extremely varied. Uh, we do have four clinics that are associated with the university uh, program. So we call that the Eye Care Institute, the Nova Southeastern University Eye Care Institute. And there are three in the city of Fort Lauderdale, each in a little bit different location. And then there's one in North Miami Beach. So the, the three in Fort Lauderdale, there's one in, in, in close to downtown Broward, or, or downtown Fort Lauderdale, I should say, called the Broward Clinic. There's one called uh, the Broward Lighthouse, which is a low vision clinic, so elderly patients, which right now we're not really participating in due to the COVID situation. Uh, so we're doing the low vision at the Davie or the campus clinic. And then we have one in North Miami Beach, which was the original Southeastern University uh, clinic before Southeastern University and Nova University merged in 89 to become Nova Southeastern University. So our, patient, our, our students, they kind of rotate through these four clinics throughout their third and their fourth year. And the demographic population is different. So lots of Hispanic community down here from all of South America, from Mexico all the way down to the tip of South America. Um, you have all the Caribbean so you not only have Hispanics, but you also have uh, Haitians, you have uh, Jamaicans, U.S. Virgin Islands, etc. cetera. Uh, six to eight months out of the year, we have a strong Canadian population down here in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, we have Ukrainian, Serbian population. We have Asian Indians. We have Asians. We have um, African-Americans. We have so much of a variety. And every clinic that you know, is strategically located throughout South Florida so that you really get a very broad patient base experience. 
Uh, unfortunately, a lot of these patients don't get regular eye exams in their um, country of origin. So when they come here, they come to visit family, uh, they, they go to all kinds of doctors. And there's, there's such a variety of ocular disease that you'll see. Um, primarily, we do a lot of diabetic work. So we have a diabetes clinic. So we see a lot of that. We see um, hernias. We see all kinds of visual disorders as well. Um, we have a very strong traumatic brain injury uh, clinic. So we see patients that have suffered strokes, patients that have suffered accidents and have uh, neurological damage, and that impacts their vision. Uh, we see patients that have had uh, heart attacks, patients that have hypertension, um, so there's a number of different uh, visual disorders as well as ocular disease. We have probably one of the leading glaucoma clinics as well. And because we are a multidisciplinary environment, we work together with the osteopathic clinics uh, when there are systemic issues that the patient needs to have various types of care. And we are an integral part of that. So we do a lot of shadowing sometimes with our osteopathic clinic when uh, we're dealing with a diabetic patient particularly and uh, the osteopathic students do a lot of shadowing in our diabetic clinic just to get a feel of how the diabetic patient is seen and cared for in all of these different modalities of medicine so just give you a little bit of an insight there's much more to it but i could go on and on and on but i won't <laughs> No, that was awesome. Thank you. So you mentioned the three different optometry programs that students can take part of, but what other degrees can students acquire simultaneously while they earn their OD degrees? Are there any master's programs that NSU offers that students can take part of if interested? Well, the most common would be the MPH, which is offered through the College of Osteopathic Medicine. So you could do a dual degree. Um, you know, you have to do, you have to apply to the College of Osteopathic Medicine for the master's, but once you do, then things work together. So your curriculum, whenever you register, everything shows up on your registration screen, both the doctor of optometry classes as well as the MPH. So that's one of the more common ones, the Master of Public Health. Uh, we have, in our college, we have a Master's of Clinical Vision Research. So that is really geared to doctors of optometry or individuals that are working towards their doctor of optometry program or degree so that it teaches them how to conduct research in an area of their interest, how to get grants and how to do a number of things that involves research. So those are two of the more common ones, but we are a full university. So being a full university, if a student comes to us with a finance background, or marketing background or economic background and has all of these business courses, they can actually get an MBA uh, through the School of Business. We have an elective known as the mini MBA, which is 20 contact hours that is completed during the third year. And that is with the School of Business and our students that sign up for that elective can get all kinds of general business uh, training uh, tax laws, human resource, social media, marketing, finance, uh, how to run an office, a business in general. 
Uh, we do in our college, we in third year and fourth year have specific management practice for an optometric office, but then you can do the mini MBA. But if you have the business background, you can actually do a dual degree in business. So you can come out with your doctor of optometry degree and an MBA, which is fantastic. Um, you know, there's others, I mean, psychology, if you have that background and you want to continue your education in psychology, you could do that as well. And we get a lot of students with a psychology background because we have a, a college of, of psychology as well within the university. Awesome. So for all of these, just to make it clear to everyone listening, so you do have to apply with the specific school. Um, it's not just automatically, you're not enrolled automatically, correct? Correct. You, you, you have to go through them because, uh, say, for example, I have a psychology degree and I want to get a, a, a master's in psychology and clinical counseling or whatever might be the case. I have to go through them. They have to make sure that I have the prerequisites that they require in order to be able to qualify for the program. But once you're accepted in these programs, then everything works together. So the tuitions will be charged as one and also the registration and everything is charged. When you go in to register every, for every semester, all the courses appear there. So you can register one shot, you're done. And then you progress, you know, a lot of the programs that are other programs like MPH and MSCBR and, and some of these other programs, they progress at different rates than the Doctor of Optometry program. They're different lengths, so some of them may be two years, some of them may be three, and uh, most of them could be done online, as opposed to the Doctor of Optometry program, which is done, you know, put on, feet on the ground, uh, kind of on campus. Uh, so, but yes, you, you would have to go through those different colleges, but yeah, that's the way that would work. Awesome, so since we're talking about other programs and how to apply into them, you mentioned the extended five-year program. So when, when you're applying to NSU optometry, how do you um, apply to you know, become part of the extended program? Can you apply to become part of it later after you start or how does that timeline work? So the extended program is not an application-based program, neither is a preparatory program. All students have to apply to the traditional four-year program through OptumCast and then course, the Nova supplemental application have to go through the same process, both the extended and the preparatory, although there's a separate interview process for the preparatory. For the extended program, it's really a decision that the committee and admissions makes. So the extended program is for non-traditional students. Say I got a biology degree back in 2007 and started working as a science teacher and I've been doing that for five years but it's not what I want to do or I got a degree in nursing and I've been working in nursing but that's not my passion or you know whatever might whatever other situation might be the case it's for individuals that have been out of school for three years or more making a career change maybe individuals that during their college got married or have children or maybe have some kind of medical condition that requires them to have set doctor's appointments every, every week or, or every other week or every month. And so the, the extended program takes the curriculum, the traditional four-year curriculum, and just simply extends it by one year. So the first two years, what I call the hair on fire years, 
are extended into three years. So it goes at a little bit lighter load, a little bit slower pace. So I've been out of school for six years. I, I'm not used to studying at this pace. If I give you 10 classes, all science-based, I might, I might overwhelm you. But if we reduce that to six and all medical sciences the first year, and we bring you along slowly by the, the end of your third year in the program, you're, you're pretty much used to this pace because we progress the number of credits every, every semester. So we increase it every semester. And then by your fourth and fifth year, you're doing exactly the same thing as the traditional uh, students are doing. So it is a program that is only offered. Now, if you know that you're in this situation, you've been out of school for a couple of years, you can say to me, hey, either during the interview process or before the interview process, you can say, I wanna be considered for the extended program. And then I can present that to the committee after the committee reviews everything. But we're always going to consider applicants for the four-year program and then decide if they qualify for the five-year and if it's the best path for them and then offer it and sometimes even offer an option. Hey, look, we think you can do the four-year, but we have this specialized program that might benefit you. You have the option to choose. So that's how that works. All right, that is great. So we've said a lot of things about the different programs that NOVA offers, how students are involved and how you kind of consider their um, unique circumstances to provide for them the best program. So in your words, your opinion, what makes NSU different? So for someone that's currently uh, between a couple different schools, why they should consider NSU over maybe other institutions? Well, I can say this, faculty doesn't like to say this, administration, the top administration doesn't say this, but I can say this in my position. Um, number one, you know, it's the location. We're in South Florida. It's, it's unique because we are in the only, if you look at a map of the United States, we, we're the thumb of the United States. So we're in a subtropical environment and especially down here in South Florida. So the last few days, we've had a cold front come through. And so our cold front has been temps in the low 70s, 72, 73, 74, low humidity, beautiful sunshine, um, you know, year round outdoor activities, beaches are 20, 25 minutes away in every location because we have coastline that goes from all the way south and Key West to as far up the coast as Maine. So we have coastlines throughout all the, the, the state of Florida on both sides and that's what makes us unique. So you're like, oh, I don't want the Atlantic Ocean this weekend. I want to do the Gulf of Mexico. You drive an hour and a half to Naples, Fort Myers, Gulf of Mexico. Um, oh man, I'm excited because it's Christmas time. I want to go see Mickey three hours away, Disney World, Universal Studios. So you're in a unique location in the United States. Um, and then of course, we are a few hours away from the Caribbean, which is fantastic as well. So our mission trips take us to South America and take us to the Caribbean, which is a tremendous experience for our students. Um, the other thing that makes us really different is the unique environment. It is the only true interprofessional environment. So we have eight colleges of medicine, 60 plus programs in the health professions, all under the same roofs in the same four buildings. So 
dynamic environment. You walk around our halls, blue scrubs, green scrubs, purple scrubs, black, red, uh, you know, different shades of blue, different shades of green. Um, these are all the different programs and they're represented from different, you know, represented with different scrubs. So it's a very health professions environment. Uh, you interact with students from osteopathic medicine, from dental medicine, from pharmacy, from nursing. You can do that in uh, the library because we have a unique library just for HPD students. Of course, you do that uh, in the lab sometimes. You take classes together with some of these other programs. So you, you, know, you interact with dental students and PA, OT, PT students in a cadaver lab, which is a very unique experience. Um, you can uh, do cooperatives, like I said, osteopathic medicine, diabetes clinic, doctor of optometry, diabetes clinic, that kind of thing. So it's a very unique environment. All of our programs are together. We don't separate them. Um, we're really, really, really into technology. So we have not only are our students utilizing the most advanced technology, which, which is the Apple technology every single day, because it required an iPad, not a laptop, uh, not uh, any other tablets, an iPad. Uh, they use it for notes, they use it for their, their, their material, their books, their lab manuals. They use it to take tests as well, because everything is done through the iPad. And then we've got a fantastic simulation lab with seven BIO simulators. And we just got in two brand new slit lamp simulators. So we can program and train you in just about anything and everything we want. So before you actually ever go to the clinic and experience it firsthand, you've seen it in a simulated environment. So we're very technologically advanced. Uh, full university, if you haven't seen it, we've got a fantastic library, five stories uh, in the center of campus. We've got a meditation garden with outdoor spaces for you to sit and study. We have a fantastic recreational facility known as the University Center with a three-story gym, an outdoor Olympic pool, an outdoor tennis court, an outdoor basketball, two indoor basketball courts, and a 45-foot rock climbing wall all the gym equipment that you want. So that's, you, you get all the benefits of a full university, but you've got a small college, 400 students or so. So my opinion, this is what makes us so unique. And the best part about us, faculty, I think is the best faculty in the nation. Administration is, is fantastic. Uh, Dr. Patterson is amazing. Uh, Dr. Shal Hoffman is amazing. Um, and of course, you, you really have one person, one contact point for anything and everything you need from financial aid to housing to, you know, background checks, immunization. And that's this guy right here. So you, you, I'm the one-stop shop guy. So you stop with me and I kind of help you with anything and everything you need. Awesome. So you have touched on a lot of things um, and... You said, you know, the mission trips, how students interact with other healthcare professionals at the Nova Southeastern campus. 
But what are other ways that students are involved on campus? Is there any opportunities for employment, any um, volunteering, any shadowing um, outside of the program requirements that students participate in just kind of break up um, the week from studying for exams and being in class all day? Sure, there's, there's, first of all, there's 19 College of Optometry clubs that range from contact lens to ocular disease to vision therapy. Uh, there's an LGBTQ club, there's, uh, there's a Hispanic club, there's, there's all kinds of clubs that you can participate in that do extra, extra things outside. Not only do you learn more, but you get to socialize. Uh, and you get to socialize in usually in little restaurants and different things like that because the officers usually go to the restaurants and restaurants usually are, are they, they cater to them so they give them special pricing while they're there and uh, because they want to draw in the students so uh, that's one way that they uh, participate off off the books off the regular uh, curriculum um, we also have HPD-wide clubs. So you could do an HPD pediatric club. You can do an interfaith club where we have Bible study sharing and we have uh, Muslim and Asian, um, you know, all the Asian different philosophies and religions. So everybody can come together in an interfaith group and share their faith and their love of uh, God and, and, and whatever they practice. Um, you know, we have, of course, uh, practice management uh, activities. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, you do eye screenings. We do all kinds of community events within the university. So you can participate in that. And generally, NOVA has tabling events at all of that stuff. I am part of the Multicultural Affairs Committee, and we generally put on once a year a multicultural fair where we bring in people from all different uh, backgrounds and we do you know, different food tastings. It's all free to students. We, have, we set up huge tables with all different foods from all over the world. We bring in restaurants from you know, Haitian to Cuban to you know, Thai, whatever. And, and, and so students go around and they sample the different cuisine and that's all on campus. Uh, off campus, I mean, come on, you're, you're in Florida. Jet skiing, uh, water, uh, scuba diving, uh, parasailing. I mean, there's so many things to do here. You could just do what I love to do, my favorite hobby, which is just sit by the beach and sunbathe, read a book, and, and, and enjoy that. Um, in addition, we have the dolphins which right, are right on campus, by the way, and all of our students get free tickets to every home game for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, we have the Miami Marlins down in Miami, about 45 minutes away. The Miami Heat down in Miami, both were in the playoffs this year. The Heat went all the way to the finals, so we're excited about that. Both about 45 minutes away from campus. And then we have the Florida Panthers, which are 15 minutes away. That's our hockey team. Uh, favorite for the uh, favorite destination for the Canadian students. They love to go to hockey games and it's a very cheap ticket. So we have all the major sports, clubs, nightclubs, uh, restaurants, you name it. We have museums, uh, we've got it. So it's, it's, you can do, you can literally be here for four years and not do everything there is to do. 
Wow. Well, that sounds tempting. I'm probably just going to do all of that. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. So we're just going to um, dial it back to academics again. So failure is something that no one ever anticipates, but you know, it, it is bound to happen. It happens to the best of us. So what is the remediation process like at NSU if that were to be the case to one of your students? Well, the, the most important part of it is early detection and early intervention. So we are constantly monitoring the progression of the students. And uh, every couple of weeks, uh, particularly after any exam, and we do usually four to five exams per class per, per semester, not just two. Um, so professors will send our student services uh, coordinator, which works in the student uh, affairs office, the, the grades, and then she'll share them with Dr. Patterson, Dr. Shala Hoffman, and myself. And first thing we do is if we know that a student is struggling, before it gets to remediation, we want to go ahead and start early intervention with that student. So we bring them in, we start to talk to them about what's going on, what are they doing, how are they studying, and we try to begin to work out a plan with them to improve their study habits. Uh, we, we have a mentoring system, so every student comes in with a second year mentor. Uh, every student is assigned a faculty mentor as well. So that's another way that we intervene with the student's academic progress. And then we, of course, have tutoring services available. So if we know that a student needs tutoring, we'll tell them, hey, we're going to set you up for tutoring. Uh, so all of that is the first step. Uh, if a student does eventually fail, the remediation process, uh, you know, we have what we call a comp exam. So if a student fails less than three, so one or two classes, we have what we call a, compreh a comprehensive exam that they have to take prior to the start of this, the ne their next semester. If they pass that comprehensive exam, boom, remediation over, they move on. If they don't pass that comprehensive exam, then they go through a process with our SPAC, our student academic performance or progression committee. And that committee then interviews the student, gives the student an opportunity to express what happened and why they failed. If they fail three classes, they automatically go to this committee because three classes means automatic dismissal. Um, and then there's options, you know, the options again, number one would be the comp exam. Number two would be, okay, we're going to restart you. So if you, let's say you fail first out of first semester, first year, then you don't continue on and we start you with the very next year's class. So you restart the program again. Uh, these are some of the processes in remediation that, that we can uh, utilize. Um, you know, obviously sometimes a student gets medical issues and needs a leave. So we have those options as well in place. Um, and then we have counseling centers. Uh, we have the Henderson Student Counseling, which is all free for the student. The student can go sit with a counselor, talk if they're having uh, anxiety, if they're having mental issues, whatever might be the case. And that's, those are ways that we remediate and that we help our students. Fortunately, um, the early in detection and intervention program that we have in place reduces the number of students that get to that significantly uh, so that you know we're catching them before and we're bringing 
them to the help that they need and helping them kind of overcome whatever challenges they're facing and never get to that remediation state. So that's the greater majority of the students. Our attrition rate is very, very low. Uh, we graduate about almost 97.85% of our students that we bring in. Um, so we're doing very well. And in the worst case scenario, if a student's really, really struggling in the traditional program during, particularly in the first year, this is usually in the first year, uh, we can choose to say to that student, you know what, we think you'd benefit from a, a little bit lighter load. So we're going to transition you over to the extended program. And that would be another remediation process that is available to us. It's not very common, but it can happen as well. Awesome. So along with that um, graduation rate, you also have a really high national boards passage rate. So how do you do it? What are your secrets? How do you prepare your students for national boards? Well, the way we prepare our students for the national board is number one, we hire the best faculty in the nation, top top minds, uh, really committed individuals that want to not only teach you the material, but get you to think outside the box uh, and really learn how to be a doctor. So that's the number one thing. Um, obviously the classroom, you know, we separate our optometry faculty from the medical sciences so that our optometry faculty don't teach anatomy and path and physiology and, and those types of courses. Those courses are taught by the College of Medical Science. So you could be taught by a urologist, cardiologist, uh, any kind of specialist. You could be taught by an anatomist, uh, microbiologist. So actually microbiology is taught by two different instructors, a virologist and a bacteriologist. So very specialized training in the medical sciences. And then our optometry faculty only teach their specialty in optometry. They don't have to worry about medical science courses. So that is another way we do it. Um, we have for third year students what we call an NBEO prep course that they take in the fall, which does a full comprehensive review of everything that is going to be on the exam. We utilize an external company known as KMK, which provides two huge books with all the study material and then does two weekends, one in November and one in January in preparation for the March exam, that's the first part of the board. And uh, of course, your faculty member, your upper class member, uh, mentor, uh, all of these things are things. Opto prep, we have opto prep as well. So we incorporate all of these things into the program to really give the student the advantage. And for the third part of the board, which is practicum exam in North Carolina, we have what we call an MBEO room within our optometric theory and methods lab. And that is an exact duplicate of the exam room or exam lane in North Carolina. Everything from the location of the equipment, the type of equipment, the, the color of the cabinets, everything, the color of the walls, everything is identical so that when you're in your fourth year and you're getting ready to go take this practicum exam, you can go into that room and practice in the same environment, feel comfortable, so that when you get there, you're not stressed out about like, oh, where's this and where's that? You know exactly where everything is and you familiarize yourself with the environment. So you feel like you're back 
in NOVA practicing instead of you know, working on, on an actual test. So these are among the many things that we do. Awesome. So we talked about the program and how it's a great program. So as an applicant now listening to this, you sold them the program. How can they sell themselves to NSU? What are you looking for in a prospective applicant and hopefully a student? Well, first and foremost, and um, I'm sure that every school is going to tell you this, we're looking for a qualified student because it is an academic program. So we're looking for students that have you know, great academic records that are consistent throughout their four years of undergrad that have challenged themselves by taking you know, heavy course loads and, and a lot of science courses together that have done very well, A's, B's, and have GPAs of three, four and above, and also that have performed well on the OAT. The OAT is very important because it doesn't indicate how, how well you're gonna do in optometry school, but it does indicate if you are able to take a standardized exam under high pressure circumstances and perform. So the OAT, the GPA, very important. But then we look beyond that and we're looking for uh, students that are very well-rounded. Have they done a lot of community service? Have they done extracurricular? Have they been involved in athletics and band and cheerleading and choir? Uh, have they been ambassadors? Have they been, you know, in different clubs and organizations uh, in their college. So we look for someone that has been active and that has been involved in their community. And very importantly, we look for someone that has really strong optometric experience. So, um, you know, three, four, five, six, eight hours of shadowing, uh, it's okay. But we want to see somebody that's really expanded, has been doing a lot of research, is really sure that this is what they want to do and can address it when they are interviewing and, and kind of show that they have some base and some knowledge in, in the field of optometry. So um, these are the things that I, and I'm usually one of the first ones to touch an application, I'm looking for so that when I take it to the committee, I'm about 95% sure that the committee is going to go like, yeah, this is an applicant we want to interview. So I do a lot of pre-screening before I even get there. All right. So with that goes OETs and letters of recommendations, obviously. And during these, um, you know, unpredicted times, some people weren't able to do the shadowing that they had planned for or take the OET at the time that they had planned for. So as an applicant reviewer, what is worse, not having a letter of recommendation on your application or submitting a bad one or one that's not compelling enough? Uh, absolutely, submitting a bad letter of recommendation is worse than not having one. Uh, not having one, I can deal with that because I can tell them, hey, you know, let's you've got until the start of the program to try to get yourself a letter of recommendation. So we're not, we're not too stressed out. I can work with you on that, but a bad letter of recommendation, usually when the committee is borderline and they say, let's look at their letters of recommendation. And then they see one that says recommend or recommend with reservations. And then they read through it. I, I can give you examples. You know, we once actually called, one of our alumni 
who had given a letter of recommendation that was less than glowing and you know, said to that alumni, why? Why did you write this? What is your opinion of this student? He's a very nice young man, but, and that but, when, when we hung up basically was like, no. And so the young man met the criteria, academic criteria, but after the interview, seeing that letter, it was a no. The other no-no is there's a lot of people out there whose parents are ODs. And shadowing with your parents is a great idea because nobody is going to involve you more than your own parents. Getting a letter of recommendation from a parent, a sibling, or a close relative is a no-no. That does not you know, sit well with the committee and admissions. So I would say a bad one is definitely not the way you want to go. So with that being said, what are your tips to make sure you get a good letter of recommendation? Because most of the time you're not supposed to see it and you're not supposed to kind of pry and see what they're going to write about you. Um, so how can you make sure that if, if you ask them for a letter, they're going to write you a good one? Make sure that the person that you're asking the letter of is someone that you have built a relationship with. So someone, I mean, if you've been in a 400 student auditorium class, last semester I was in a 400 student auditorium class and that's a science instructor, so I'm gonna get a letter from them. And the only interaction they had from you was giving you a grade every time you took a test, they're not gonna write a good letter. They're gonna write maybe a little paragraph like this, two, three sentences saying they were in my class, they, 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 they completed the class at, you know, 25th or 80th or whatever percentile. And um, when they do the evaluation of you, they're gonna select not observed in most of those things. That's, that's not someone that can really talk to your skills and abilities and personality and all that. So make sure that you have a relationship with this person. And you know when the relationship is not great. So if you've had a professor where you struggled and maybe you've had a couple of instances where you haven't been happy and, 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 and not good interaction with them, don't ask them for a letter. Same thing with an OD that you visited once. Don't ask that person for a letter because they're not gonna give you a good letter. Make sure that there's a connection, that there's a relationship, there's a good relationship and if it's a professor, make sure that you've done well in that class because they're going to give you a good letter. Awesome. So we're going to touch on the last thing um, here. So can you get invited without taking the OET low scores or if you have an OET scheduled but you just haven't sat to take the exam yet? Uh, no. So we do not, our committee does not invite students that have not taken an OET or have OET scores. Now, if the student has taken a PCAT, a DAT, or an MCAT, we can consider those medical uh, exams scores and kind of look for something that is equivalent. And if, it, if we think it meets our criteria, we, we might invite that student, uh, usually with the hope that they will also do an OET, but uh, those would be the only other exams that we would consider. Um, if they are going to take it, it's been canceled, they're going to take it in January or February. Uh, we usually will wait, we'll have them on hold, we'll interact with them and wait until they do that. Now, 
the committee can override that if there's a student that is an exceptional student has everything that we love on the application and maybe is taking the OET in January or February, the committee can decide to invite that student into interview, but the acceptance offer will probably be conditional on the OET scores. Um, so that's really important. The OET is really important for us. All right. So you've got all that down. You've submitted your OptomCast. You've got invited to an NSU interview. Now, how can you prepare for your interview? I always say to students or to prospective applicants, look, we're going to send you, because we're doing everything virtually, we do interviews on Monday. Today is Friday. So our admissions department, I've already sent them all the information. Today, they're going to email the applicants that are interviewing on Monday. They're going to email them the Zoom link, the name of the individual that's interviewing them, and the time. So all applicants do two interviews. They interview with one of our faculty members, and they interview with me. And so you get both of, this, of the names and, and, and uh, the times and their, their links. You have a whole weekend. Go to optometry.nova.edu. Oh, I'm interviewing with Dr. Lee. Let me go to optometry.nova.edu. Let me click on the Doctor of Optometry program. Faculty, let me find Dr. Lee. Let me research Dr. Lee. Find out what Dr. Lee does, what her background is, what she teaches, you know, her personal life, because it's all in her bio. And then you're like, oh, I'm interviewing with Juan. Let me go to staff. Let me go to Juan's bio. And read about him. Now you have something that you can begin to say, okay, what about this person kind of connects with me and what can I bring to the interview? So that now you're interviewing with a faculty member and you're going like, oh, Dr. Lee, I read that you, this is your specialty. How did you get involved in that? What do you love about that? Why are you teaching as opposed to working, you know, full time? What do you love about NOVA? Oh, Juan, I, I saw that you were a coach or I saw that you were, you know, and I, I'm a basketball player. I'm a softball player. What, you know, these kinds of things connect because one of the things that we're looking for in an interview is an individual that is well-rounded and that can connect to people. This medical profession of optometry is a people profession. And you want to do that always. You want to connect so you don't want a patient once, you want a patient for life. You want that patient to keep coming back to you, to bring you their children, to bring you their elderly parents, to bring you their siblings, their friends, their coworkers. And you wanna, you wanna connect with them on a personal way. And what better way to do it in an interview than by having some previous knowledge of the person that's interviewing you and showing an interest in that person, not just you but all of a sudden making a connection you make a connection with me you make a connection with one of our faculty and that's going to come out in the evaluation process they're going to say loved interviewing and interacting with this individual think she's a great fit or he's a great fit please let's let's get him into the program so that's one way you prepare the other way is know thyself where have you been what are you all about? Why do you want to do this? 
Be prepared to answer some difficult questions. If you've had challenges, don't shy away from them. Answer them. And then very importantly, don't pass the buck, which is a very, very old American tradition, passing the buck. Don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, it was this faculty that taught this class. They weren't the best teacher. They really didn't prepare me. Or it was this optometrist, or it was this, 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 this. No, take ownership. This is what I did. This is where I failed. This is what I learned. And this is how I changed. That shows confidence, shows perseverance, grit, self-awareness, which is very important. And all of these things contribute to your, and of course, research the profession. And talk to, when you're talking to the faculty, talk about your experiences, specific experiences. So you might want to even jot down some notes as to some specific clinical experiences or shadowing experiences that you've had that made an impact in you. You want to share that because nothing excites the optometry faculty more than talking about optometry. So I've been a lifelong educator. Nothing excites me more than to hear a student being very self-aware of their abilities, their skills, the good things that they do, and also the areas that they need to improve. That excites me because I'm like, this person, they get it. Yeah, well, that was awesome. So what comes next after you do your interview on Monday? What's the next step from here? Are you going to know if you didn't quite make the cut and how do you guys you know talk about okay so this is how the interview went this is what I think and this is my decision so I interview but I don't vote during committee uh, because I interview and I evaluate and make a recommendation and I also work so closely with the files they don't count however they will always turn to me and say what is your opinion and I'll give them the opinion because I know they know I've been here for, you know, working on nine years now. So um, they, they, they trust me and they, they know that I have the best interest in the, of the student and the college in mind. And so what happens after the interview, I get all my reports ready. And on Thursday of that same week, so Monday we'll interview, Thursday we'll go to our committee, we'll review all the applicants and then they'll make a decision. And then we will call the applicant. If uh, it's not the best of news, usually I'm the one that's calling and saying, this is, this is what I need. So usually at this point, unless the student just didn't do well at all in the interview, uh, it's very rare that we decline a student. Uh, but if we hold a student, then there's a purpose, there's a reason. We might say, we wanna see fall grades. We wanna see a letter of recommendation from the optometrist. We wanna see the new OAT because you said that you're retaking it next week. And then once we have that, I'll bring it back to the committee. But I'm gonna stay in contact with you to make sure that you're getting me what I need so that I can bring it to the committee. And then I'll tell them, if you do what I ask you, I'm gonna advocate and fight for you. But if you don't do it, I can't. So these are things that, um, that happen. And usually, usually my call is a positive call, a happy call. It's like, hey, congratulations. And uh, then I get sad if they don't accept it. But 
usually that's, you know, we, we, we accept a great majority of the students that we interview because we pre-screen so thoroughly that, you know, unless the student bombs the interview, they're going to get an offer. Awesome. So this was a really good episode, super long, super informative, but in closing, what would be one piece of advice that you would give a prospective student interested in attending NSU or applying? I would say, be sure, you know, there's 23 schools. We're all fighting for the best students. Do your research, find out, make sure that that, that school is in your priority list. Try to interview with two, maybe three of your top schools and have others in the background, but three of your top schools interview in those three so that you'll have a really hard choice to make. Don't select the school because your parents want you to go there, because you're close to family, you're close to home. Select the school because you kind of, when, you, when you interviewed or when you saw it, it connected with you and you said, this is where I want to be. If you're happy, you're going to do great and you're going to endure whatever. If you're not, you're going to struggle, no matter how smart you are. So got to be happy. If you love what you do and you're passionate about this profession, you're going to make it. You're going to get through it. So be happy. And this is probably one of the happiest places on earth, South Florida and Florida in general. So I can't see you not being happy down here. Um, so that would be my advice to pick the schools that you really, really think are going to be where you want to go. Uh, and then pick the one that you fall. It's like dating. Love at first sight. If it's love at first sight, you know that that's the school for you. All right. This has been a delight. Thank you so much, Juan. Thank you. This was great. I loved it. And congratulations for such a, such a tremendous idea and your efforts and your work on this. I, I love it. Thank Good you. Job. So that is all for this week's episode. Another highly requested one. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to keep up with the podcast, make sure to follow us on Instagram at keepin.it.od. Interact with posts and stories. Let me know what other schools I should bring on the show. And if you or someone that you know would like to collaborate with me on an episode, feel free to reach out to me at keepinitodpodcast at hotmail.com. Just put collab in the subject line so I can get back to you as soon as I see it. Make sure to follow NSU Optometry on Instagram so that you can keep up with what they're up to. It's at NSU Optometry. And lastly, I'd like to thank Mr. Savidra again for taking the time to join me today. And I hope we were able to answer all of your questions about the program. I will see you right back here next week with a brand new episode all about MCPHS optometry. And as always, we will be keeping it OD. Thank you, guys.